You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Terry Riley titled, Unveiling Jesus, which is from our You've Got Mail series. For more info, please visit creekside.org. Good morning, everybody. If you would take your Bibles, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. That's toward the back, right before the concordance or the maps. Pretty easy to find. Turn to chapter 1. Guys who have been married can probably relate to what I'm going to share. If you haven't been married, then uh, spoiler alert for one of the greatest experiences of your life. It was in June of 1978. I was in the back room, 20 years old. Uh, My bride-to-be had just turned 19. And I was in the back of the room with seven friends who were my groomsmen, best men. And I started having these thoughts. Is she really the one? Is she the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with. I think I know her pretty well. I hope she's the one. And then in the midst of getting ready to go out and stand in front of people, we uh, went out there. And by the time all of the groomsmen and the bridesmaids and everybody came forward, uh, I was in pretty good shape. Because all of a sudden, I saw this little bride in her white dress and veiled with her daddy. She was coming down the aisle. And it was everything I could do to keep from sweating at my eyes. And, uh, and she came forward. And what I was thinking by that time is, I, I can't wait to take the veil off and kiss her. And she got there, and everything happened. And at the end, I got to take the veil away from her face and kiss her. And there was this revealing of this incredibly beautiful, radiant, 19-year-old bride. And 40, almost 42 years later, we're still at it and doing pretty well. And it was probably, yeah, thank you. I, I just happened to make the good choice. And, uh, uh, but she's, she's a wonderful gal, but it's interesting uh, because that's what we're talking about in Revelation. See, I got to see my wife revealed on that day and, and, and the radiance of a bride is like nothing else. Those of us who have been married or maybe you've been to weddings. I still, I, I now, uh, as an old guy, I get really choked up about every bride coming down and, uh, it's, it's just this, there's this radiance to it. And that's what we're looking at is this revelation from Jesus Christ. And that's what revelation is about. It's not about, it's not just about the end times. It's not just about all this stuff that's going to take place. But the first point, the foremost part of this book is simply that we are going to see Jesus revealed and unveiled. We're going to kind of pull the veil back to be able to see him in all of his glory. Apocalypse, apocalyptic, uh, really just translates uh, apocalypsis in its original language, and it just means an unveiling. 
And what I want us to see that as we go through, uh, as far as we're going to get in, in the book of Revelation, when you think of Jesus in this book, I don't want you to think of Jesus who just came as this little babe in swaddling clothes born on earth, who was simple, poor, meek and mild, an itinerant rabbi, a commoner who lived humbly as a Galilean carpenter and an itinerant preacher. That was only for a season. Matthew 1, 23 tells us because he wanted us to experience God with us. Hebrews 1, 3 says that it had to do that, we, that he is the exact representation, the exact radiance of his father. And what it was to do is to reveal who Jesus was in his humanity and his compassion and his love and his grace and his goodness that would come and die on the cross to save humanity from their sins and usher us into a relationship with himself. But this is today. I want you to see Jesus today as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In the present tense, he's the eternal God. He rose to conquer death. He ascended back into heaven where he experienced this glorious expression of who he really is. He's alive and he's overseeing all. And this is important, loved ones, because your view of Jesus is one of the most important things that you can have for your life. Nothing will impact your relationship to God. Nothing will impact your relationship to people, your self-view, your decisions, and your purposes for life as much as how you privately conceive God in your own heart and in your own mind and thinking. The Apostle John is the receiver of this letter in the Revelation. Before he had, before this, 60 years earlier, he'd walked with Jesus for three years. He was probably considered his BFF or his best friend forever. Because it says in John 20, when he's writing the Gospel of John, he makes this wonderful statement and he says, the disciple, speaking of himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Does that mean he didn't love the others? No. But there seems to be this unique and special relationship with John. John actually turned his mother Mary over to him to take care of while he was dying on the cross. So he saw Jesus in his earthly ministry, walked with him for three years. He saw him heal the blind. He saw him speak health and wholeness to people's lives. He saw people reject him. He saw how he died. So he saw Jesus as man God. Now he has been exiled to the island of Patmos by the Roman emperor Domitian, who was a Christian hater, a Christian persecutor, and he banished him to this barren island, which is used really as a Roman penal camp. So he is basically a prisoner but it's here in the midst of being in this penal prison, isolated from everything, that all of a sudden he gets this revelation, this unveiling of Jesus. And we're going to read that today. So if you would pick it up in uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. It says, now I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, kingdom and perseverance in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of God's word and the testimony about Jesus. So he's saying, you know what, I'm here. I'm one of you. I've been persecuted. I've been ostracized. I've been taken down because of my belief and because I preached the word. He was a pastor. He's probably anywhere from 90 to 100 years old at this time. 
He was, he was the last living apostle, so he would have been kind of like a, you know, like a celebrity almost with people because he would have been the closest connection that people had with Jesus. And so he's saying, but I'm one of you. I'm here because of my belief and the way I live for Jesus. And he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Uh, that would have been us saying like I was in the spirit here on Sunday. And he heard behind me this loud, loud voice like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the son of man dressed in a long robe and with a gold sash wrapped around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow. His eyes like a fiery flame. His feet like fine bronze fired in a furnace. And his voice like the sound of a cascading waters. And in his right hand he had seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was shining like the sun at midday. In verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Imagine that. He sees this incredible vision of the living Christ. And he says, I just, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he laid his right hand on me and he said, what wonderful words to hear. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm the first and the last. Basically saying, I'm the beginning, and I'm the end. I'm the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. I am eternal. And I hold, get this, I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, here's what I want you to do, John. I want you to write what you have seen, what is, and what will take place after this. Three segments of the book of Revelation. I want you to write what is, what is going on right now today, and this is chapter one. And then he's going to talk about what will be, what's going to happen, and chapter four until the end about the end times and how this whole world is going to come to a climax. Therefore, write down what you have seen, what is, and what will take place. And in chapters 2 and 3, what is, is the, two, is the ch ch churches, the seven churches that this is being written for. Write down what you have seen. For the secrets of the seven stars you saw in my right hand, and of the seven gold lampstands in this, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Don't you kind of wish Jesus did this through the whole book of Revelation where he kind of gave you the answers? You know, here, it's the only place where we really go, oh, that's what that is. I get that. But he tells us what it is. Now, understand, John has never seen his friend Jesus like this before. When he catches this glimpse of Jesus, he has this heavenly vision. It's all in Jesus' majesty and glory. And what does he do? He simply falls down before Jesus. And as he's there, he's probably thinking, uh, man, I, I, I don't know this Jesus. I've never seen this before. Isn't it true for a lot of us probably that we, 
Many of us know Jesus. We walk with him. Hopefully, we're inviting him into our daily situations, our daily life, and just our uh, with things that are taking place around us. But I wonder if Jesus might not say to us in this passage, you think you really know me, but really you, you haven't seen anything yet. There's this revelation of my life and glory that, that you've really not been able to pursue and that you really haven't been able to understand and comprehend. And I kind of wonder if Jesus wouldn't challenge us and speak to us today and say, you know something, there's so much more that I have for you. There's so much more that you don't know. There's so much more that I want you to press in and pursue and I want you to see. And you know when that oftentimes happens? It's usually in tribulation. It's usually in those difficult times in our lives. And I believe that there's a way that Jesus calls out to us when we're on our own little experience or island of Patmos, whatever your island would be named, the Isle of Rejection, the Isle of Discontent, the Isle of Fear, the Isle of Addiction, the Isle of Discouragement, the Isle of a Broken Relationship. Name your Isle. You may think you know him, but maybe he's inviting you at this point in this time, even today, to move a little closer. Or he wants to declare, he wants you to know that I'm more powerful and I'm more present than you ever think I could be. Because see, we have a tendency not to see God in all of his glory. See, when we try to understand this great and this awesome and this glorious, all-knowing, all-powerful, sinless, holy God, it can kind of make us uncomfortable. And and instead of falling down in worship before him, uh, we can be kind of uncomfortable with him and we kind of want to shrink him. You know what we want to do? We kind of want to manage him. We want to reduce him to manageable terms in our life and in our thinking. That's what happened. Remember when Moses left to go meet with God? He left the Israelites to themselves. And because they didn't have a God they could see, what did they do? They began to fashion a golden ram. That was going to be their God. He said, well, we're not going to do that. I mean, you know, we're not going to get some gold or silver and melt it down and fashion it together. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. But so many people are uncomfortable with a God that either they can't see or they really begin to believe that he's so powerful and knowing that we begin to interpret the scripture and read the scripture through our own lens of belief, through kind of an Americano belief system that really believes that God's goal for us is our personal fulfillment and God's purposes purposes to make us happy. Now, Now hear me. Parenthetically, let me add this. I believe that's part of it. God talks all the time about living in joy and living and being fulfilled and having a life that is a good life. But that doesn't mean it's going to be stress-free. It doesn't mean it's going to be pain-free. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience the difficulties of life. But God's fulfillment of his purposes in your life is not just to make you happy. And so what we begin to do is we fashion an idol that's called wealth, health, and fulfillment. And that becomes our God that we pursue at great lengths. There's something that's powerful about Jesus in this unveiling that's impacting John's life. 
And I'm convinced, and I hope and I pray, that during this time and this season in the Word, that you'll experience the same thing. That you'll get to look and see beyond what you think you know or you generally understand about the life of Jesus and begin to see the unveiled Jesus as he is today. Because we really don't talk about that. We talk about the gentle shepherd. We talk about the lover of our soul. We talk about the one that comes to bless us and to heal us and to touch us. But here, we're going to see a different Jesus today. First thing I want you to see that John says it was on a Sunday. Uh, For him, it would have been, he said it was on the Lord's Day. For us, we would just say, yeah, this happened on a Sunday. Now, what's interesting is that it's on a Sunday, and there's this almost this expectation that God can do anything. We don't see anywhere in there in his introduction in the first eight verses where he's upset with God. He's not shaking his fist at God. He's not ticked off with God. He's not saying, God, how come I'm here? I mean, if you really love me, all I've been doing for the last 90 years is preaching your word. All I've been doing is sharing my faith, and this is what happens. We don't pick up any of that. He talks about the glory of God in those first eight verses. And while he's on this God-forsaken place, he's away from the church. He's away from the people that he's pastored and that he loves for doing what God wants him to do. How do you see the Lord's day? How do you see Sunday? I don't, I hardly ever talk about this. But is, is the Lord's day a priority for you? Is gathering with him and gathering with his people and coming to say, you know something, not only do I want to receive something, but I want to be able to give something out to the people around me. Is that kind of a priority or is it just kind of a convenience thing? Ah, I'm just going, ah, you know, the 49ers are playing at three, not 10. So ah, this will be nice. I'll make it, you know. See, I think that when there's an anticipation, there's an expectation, God can do things through that. And that's what's happening here with John. He's ready, and God begins to speak to him, and he says, not only was this on a Sunday, on the Lord's Day, but I was in the Spirit. How do we know we're in the Spirit? I think there's one key way. As John says this, I heard a voice, and I wrote down, And the voice said, write down what you see. You want to know how you kind of know you're in the spirit? Excuse me. You, You know you're in the spirit when you're going along and you are hearing the voice of the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about some audible voice, but there's this sense within you. There's this sense about you that whatever you're doing, you can begin to hear God just kind of gently speaking to you. Maybe somebody's name will pop into your mind. When that happens, it usually means one of three things. I need to call them, write them, or pray for them, or maybe all three. Just to say, hey, how you doing? What's going on? See, I know that I'm, I'm hearing God when I'm hearing something. When I hear him saying, do this, don't do that. Uh, listen, uh, check yourself on this. I know I'm hearing the voice of the Lord. I know that I'm walking in the Spirit. I think that's important, loved ones. 
oh, we may not get this kind of a revelation, but there can be this ongoing, constant revealing of who Jesus is because we're in the word. We're participating and engaging the word and God will begin to speak to us, not just in the moment that we're in the word, but while we're doing life, even as John was. I'm sure that he didn't go to this island thinking he was gonna get this incredible revelation of the living Christ, the glorified Christ, but it came in the midst of his great tribulation. See, there's 404 verses in the book of Revelation. This is interesting. Of the 404 verses, there's over 500 references, uh, allusions toward, symbols of that are taken from the Old Testament. Out of 404 verses, there's 500 references to the Old Testament. What does that tell us? Well, John had to be one that was immersing himself in the word of God. So by the time this revelation comes, he's beginning to see exactly what he's already known and heard in the Old Testament. Now, none of them are direct quotes. And isn't that interesting? I'm a firm believer in memorizing scripture to be able to speak it. But sometimes people will memorize scripture so that they can show off. Or they'll do it so that they can, they'll, they'll, they'll memorize scripture so that they can win a fight, prove somebody wrong, tell the pagans to get right, tell this group to get right, to prove that they're wrong. But what does John do? All we see is that he's been immersed in the Old Testament scriptures so that when the time comes, he can begin to fit God's word with it. See, as a people, I want to make sure that we are learning the word, that we're memorizing the word, not to prove people wrong, not to beat people down, not to prove we're right, but that we are so immersed in the scriptures because we're learning about Jesus so that we, when he begins to see something, when he begins to speak something, we can begin to understand it and relay it to others. Because that's what John does here. And notice that it says that he says, I want you to write it down. Could you imagine if John would have said, oh man, thanks Lord, but uh, man, I got no pen and papyrus today. For some reason, he had it somewhere. He was prepared to write it down. My thought. It's always a blessing to see people that are writing and taking a note here and there. Did you, you know, the Bible, a lot of it is a journal. It's a journal of the revelation of the Holy Spirit, 2 Timothy 3 tells us. It's a revelation to these men and these women who wrote down what God spoke to them. My opinion, that I think we're going to remember more if we just jot a few things down. I've told you this before, just about any time I ever sit under somebody's teaching I always believe I'm going to hear something that will be helpful, and so I'm always taking notes. That doesn't make me a better Christian, but it helps me remember those things that God wants to speak to me. I'll be listening to some preacher on the radio, and they'll say something, and I say, man, I want that. I want to write that down. I'll either pull, I usually will pull over and write it down in a journal that I have in my car because I can't remember it anymore. 
you know? I can't remember for a mile or three or whatever. So I just go over there, or if it's at a stoplight, I'll write it down real quick. See what he wrote down, we have today. We see here the unveiling of Christ. It's, it's, it's not a dream, it's a vision because it describes his glory and his grandeur. It's not some kind of neo-modern art picture so that we can have it in our house. But it's John that is declaring and showing the attributes and the power, the glory, the uniqueness of the risen, glorified Christ. And I want us to see beyond what he was, He's still all of those things, but sometimes we can get stuck in there and forget of who he is. He's still the compassionate healer. He's still the one that will hold kids in his arms. He's the rabbi teacher, the love of your soul. But he's so much more that we oftentimes don't see. So we see here in in, in the revelation that John has, we see the son of man who's clothed in a garment, Exodus 28 describes the priestly garment. And John sees him, and he sees that he's talking to the high priest, Jesus Christ. Hebrews calls him the ultimate high priest for his people. What did a high priest do? Well, he would sacrifice animals for the sins of people to be forgiven. When Jesus came, he came not to do the sacrifice, but he was the sacrificed lamb of God for us. And so we see here, the first thing, the first thing that John sees is this risen high priest. He came to forgive people. He came to die on the cross to forgive people of their sins and said, I want to follow you. And then in Hebrews chapter 7, 24 and 25, he says, because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for us. What a beautiful picture. From here until the end, people are going to be able to respond to the message of Jesus Christ. And do you understand that Jesus right now, you know what he's doing? He's praying for you. Praying for Jason, praying for Mark, praying for Dorsey, praying for Sally praying for Donna. That's what he does. He lives now to make intercession for you and I. And it says he's got hair that's like wool, white as snow. Have you noticed in our culture how more and more we kind of devalue the aging process? <laughs> yeah. And we kind of we devalue the aged less and less. We don't esteem age and the, with the dignity that the Bible does. Proverbs 16:31 says that gray hair is a glorious crown. Proverbs 20:29 20, says that the glory of young men is their strength and the honor of old men is their gray hair. Uh, there's not some kind of selfish thing going on here. I'm uh, <laughs> just cuz I got all this gray hair. Yeah, it took you some of you a minute. But see when John saw this Jesus, hair like wool and white as snow, you know what he's saying for all eternity. Because that's what this whole thing is about, is that we see Jesus in this continuum of eternity. That Jesus bears the dignity and the collective wisdom that comes with age and experience. 
without all the conditions and diminishments that you and I face as we get older, where we lose strength. Our eyesight, our hearing begins to be diminished. We have less mental acumen to work with or acuity to work with. We're no longer as strong as we used to be. I was looking in the mirror the other day and and I said to Trina, I said, man, I gotta start lifting weights. (laughs) It happens when you get older. See, when you're young, you just kind of, you know, it's always there. But John is saying, Jesus is the eternal one. And he goes to this prophetic statement. John takes a few thoughts out of this prophetic statement about Jesus in Daniel chapter 7, 9 through 14. He says, behold, till the thrones were cast down and the ancients of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of the head was like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and he came to the ancient of days and they brought him before him and there he was given to him dominion, glory and a kingdom that all people, all nations, all languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom which shall not be destroyed. We see Jesus in heaven. He has all this wisdom. He has all of this knowledge and all of this dignity from the ancient of days. They're referring to Jesus there. This is thousands of years ago that they're making this statement because he is the eternal and almighty one, creator of all. He will have no loss of strength, no loss of power, no loss of might from eternity past to eternity present and to eternity future. And that's an incredible gift to you and I, loved ones. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. John goes on to say that his eyes are like a flame of fire. Jesus is the all-wise judge. He's not just caring, compassionate, interceding priest but he's also one who rules and will judge all. Jesus sees through all the deception. He sees through all of the lies of mankind. His eyes are not passive. They're not indifferent towards you regardless of how you feel, what you're thinking. He's not passive or indifferent to you. Hebrews 4.13 says nothing, nothing in all of creation is hidden from his sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes to whom we must give an account. Fire can be frightening. It can be really destructive. We've seen that in our general area. We see it in Australia right now. It can be hard and very destructive, but it can also be some of us may go home today and turn on the fireplace and experience the warm coziness of that. I kind of want you to see both of those things here. It is those eyes that someday loved ones will judge. 2 Corinthians 3 says that there's going to come a time where those who follow Jesus will stand before him. Oh, no, not, for, not, for, not to go to heaven, that's already the, the, a done deal. But we'll have to face him, we'll have to stand before him. And he's going to say, what did you do with your life? And Paul writes and he says that there's going to come this time where this fire 
from the life of Jesus is going to burn the, the wood, hay, and the stubble, those things that we didn't do really for Christ. We just did for ourselves. And then there's going to be left the gold and the silver that's going to be purified. That which is going to last and carry with us into heaven. Those eyes are going to look at us someday. Someone said it's not that Jesus looks at you, but that he has his gaze that goes through you. And John is looking into the face as Jesus is looking back at him. You know what I really believe? I believe so many of us, we want to see God, but we're not really sure that we want God to see us. And we can never forget that he does. Remember what David said, he invited God to just simply say this. He said, search me and know me. If there's any hurtful way in me, show it to me. And I think that we got to remember that as we see Jesus with these eyes, that he sees everything. And this is a warning, but it's a warm warning. And here's the key word that we want to look at a little bit later. He says this, don't fear. So many people have a fearful thought or fearful focus whenever we talk about the book of Revelation. They'll come out, oh man, Revelation, oh boy, oh. I don't want to go there. Maybe that's why some are gone, I don't know. But I, here's, here's what I come out, here's what I got on, I got permission to share this. Uh, but this was sent to me the Monday after my last talk when I did an intro to it. It said, hi, P.T., Thank you for addressing the fact that some of us are very averse to the book of Revelation. I was raised in a church during a period of time when the use of fear to intimidate people into behaving was a common tactic. As a teen, I was required to attend a Sunday school class on the end times in a windowless wood paneled room. I ended up, that would freak you out right there. <laughs> I ended up having panic attacks. I didn't realize that's what was happening to me until years later. And after a while, I simply refused to go. Sunday night service was sometimes end times movie also meant to scare us. I was already, already living in an abusive environment at home and school sucked, so I would, I, I, uh, sucked. So it would have been nice to have gone somewhere that was peaceful. My first reaction when you announced that you were uh, doing a couple of months on Revelation was despair. If I were single, I probably would have skipped church or gone somewhere else for a while. I'm totally being a wuss right now. I'm not coping well in what I have going on already. I don't need more negative things. Check, please. I told a friend who was not raised in the church my concerns, and they basically said that I could trust you, and I already knew that. My friend also thumbed through the book of Revelation and commented that the dude that wrote this must have been on mushrooms. <laughs> He's not wrong. All that to say is thanks for being trustworthy. I'm showing up and hoping for the best, but I can't say that I'm looking forward to it. See, a lot of us have that orientation toward this book. Because of what we grew up with. See, back in 1976, I heard about the end times. I saw everything that this person said, and I'm not making a statement I'm right and they're wrong or anything like that. 
But we all respond differently because it was that very thing that led me to come to Jesus and recognize that he's big and large and in charge then and into eternity. Uh, but, but hear me, loved ones, this isn't about me causing you to be afraid. Because Jesus, after he goes over to John, his first words to him are, don't be afraid. Don't fear. It says that he, has feet, uh, that he had feet like bronze. He had the stability and the strength to stand with him in the tribulation. John says in verse 9 that I'm there with you, friends, in tribulation and persecution. This furnace brings to mind this heat, heat and heated feet, red hot feet. Two things. We see, remember when uh, in Daniel chapter 3, when you had Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego who were in this furnace because they were thrown into this furnace, burning furnace by King Nebuchadnezzar because they wouldn't bow down and worship his image. He throws them in there, turns the heat up, and what happens? Nebuchadnezzar comes in there. He goes, they're not dying. What's going on? As a matter of fact, didn't we throw three in there? Oh, there's a fourth I see. And we see that Jesus is the one that in the heat of life, the tribulations of life, he's the one that's going to be in with us. He's going to be among us in those most difficult times. Even as we see, he's here with John. But there's also a second part of this. God was with them, but he's also speaking of judgment. In Revelation 19, 15, it says that his feet will tread the winepress of judgment. There's going to come a time, loved ones, when there's going to be a judgment for those who accept and those who reject Jesus. And, you, and there's so many people that have such a hard time with that. Again, well, I thought he was such a loving God. Oh, he is. Some of us understand and know that so well. But do you realize you really can't have justice and mercy without judgment? It just doesn't work. Mercy means nothing. Love means nothing if there isn't the, uh, the corollary, the alternative to that. And God is perfect in all of those. And then he says his voice when God speaks, mountains shook. He says here that it sounded like when God was speaking to him, when Jesus was there speaking, it was like the base of a waterfall. There was this loud, cascading, thunderous sound. And in the scriptures, whenever you hear that, it always speaks of the authority of God. It may surprise you, but you know when God speaks to people, when Jesus speaks to people, he doesn't come in some kind of wimpy voice and go... Would you, would, would you be my friend? <laughs> would, 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 would you consider following me? <laughs> we kind of think that way, that he's just kind of this wimpy guy. But when Jesus spoke, it shook kingdoms and lives then and today. Hear me. I'm going to say this with great pastoral love and concern. It's critical that in our culture, in our church, that we're aware of not reducing Jesus down to our user-friendly, Jesus for dummies, dummies, self-help genie for the day. Because we can do that. We come to him because we just want him to help us and get us through and make our life better, which is good. 
I'm going to rub the lamp. Maybe the genie will come up and appear. And it's an image, loved ones, that we can so often create the Jesus of our own liking, our own making, that tells me what I want to hear and what I can be comfortable with instead of the Jesus of the Bible and heaven who's just a little bit dangerous. One of my favorite quotes that I've shared here a number of times over the years about Jesus comes from C.S. Lewis, who's a Christian thinker and writer and apologist. And he wrote this, the Chronicles of Narnia. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this exchange between Mr. Beaver and Lucy. And it makes a profound statement. It says this, they are, they're talking about the great lion, Aslan, who uh, is the Christ figure throughout the book. Lucy asks Mr. Beaver, talking about Aslan, but is he safe? Mr. Beaver says, of course he is not safe, but he's good. This text reminds us of anything. Jesus Christ is not safe. You invite him into your life. Everything gets placed in jeopardy. Your your values are going to be challenged. Your easy answers for difficult questions don't satisfy anymore. Your plans for your life can quickly change. Ask John. But if you ask John, what would he say? He's good. He says it here early on. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. He says he's got a mouth. It's like a two-edged sword. Hebrews 4 talks about the sword of God, his word that goes forth being active. It's penetrating, it's dividing. It goes to the inner person, their soul and their spirit and it divides and it opens up and it sees. When Jesus speaks, his words are incisive. They cut to the heart, to the core of everything. John in his gospel about Jesus in John 1, he says this, that Jesus came, and he reiterates it and says it two times, that Jesus came in grace and in truth. He gives us truth, loved ones, so that we hear it, so that we know, so that we obey it. And a lot of us, we don't live in the, and we don't traffic in the truth, and we don't live it out. And we wonder why we struggle, we have difficulties with God because we fashioned our own God that he's gonna be happy with me over here. Even though I know I'm not doing what he wants me to do over here. But we're gonna see in the churches, he's gonna deal with some stuff. But he always comes, except to two churches with grace. But he always speaks truth. Says he's going to fall at his feet. He fell at his feet. He was touched by him. He doesn't fall backwards, but he falls at his feet because he comes and he recognizes who this is. And Jesus comes and touches him. And Jesus comes to speak to him. And he speaks to us, not for our information, but for our revelation. When you hear the word, when you read the word, loved ones, it isn't just so you can get a mind about God. It's so you can have a life that lives with and for God. It's not about filling your mind with information. It's about a revealing of Jesus Christ in your life to live and move and have your being in.
we get this beautiful glimpse of the one who is the object of our worship. And if we saw Jesus as he is today, the God of the universe, the savior of humanity, the sovereign over all, like John, who will be with us in the midst of tribulation and we simply stand with him and persevere in all of our difficulty, even when we feel isolated, worship can change your perspective and open up a venue to be able to see and to hear God in the midst of everything that you're facing. Close with two things. Remember, Jesus is among us, his church, the seven golden lampstands. First thing that is revealed is Jesus is in the midst of the church. Remember the seven golden lampstands, lamp they are the churches. In verse 12, you see the first image and glimpse of Jesus. Where is it? It's among his people. Where's Jesus now? He's among his people. He's here with us today. There is this omniscient presence that is here. He says he walks among us. I'll tell you why that's so powerful to me. You know why? Because I've been around the church, not just this church, but the church for a long time, and you all will understand this. It's pretty messy. That's why a lot of people leave. It's just so messy. Everybody's the same as everybody as everywhere else. Well, duh. We're all people. We're all sinful people just trying to get our stuff into heaven, right? And in the weeks ahead, we're going to read about Ephesus. We're going to read about Smyrna. We're going to read about Laodicea and Sardis. You know what? They all, except for two churches, had significant struggles and issues to deal with, just like churches today. But here's what's powerful. Jesus wasn't ashamed to identify with them. He wasn't ashamed to be in them. You know what he's doing? He's in the church and he's standing there and he's trimming their wicks to bring forth a radiant illumination among his church so that people can see him. That's what Jesus has been all about from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, it says that he walked with Adam and Eve. In Matthew 1, 23, it says that he came to be God with us. In Revelation 21, 22, you can read where Jesus, finally the church is with him in heaven, and he goes, ah, my people are with me, and I am with them. See, I love that. Because some of us are stinkers, aren't we? And yet Jesus says, that's my people. A lot of people believe that Jesus can be known independently of his people. And I think he can. I know he can, but that's never God's plan. Most often, Jesus gets known through his people. So many find the church, and then they find Jesus in the church. So many experience coming to Jesus in and through the gathering of the church because ultimately people sense his presence among us. Hear me as a pastor and I hope as our church, we never forget that because 
one of the churches we're going to read about in Revelation, this is what Jesus says to them. You need to change. You need to repent because I don't want to remove your lampstand. I don't want to remove your church. But I want you to continue to be a presence in your city, in your community. And that's what I want Creekside to make sure we never forget that's what we're called to do. We're called to be a presence in this city, in this community, in the communities around us where we live. And we take that seriously because Jesus is among us. And our call is not only to know him, but to make him known. We want to hear his thoughts. We want to hear his plans for this church. Because as you read about the seven churches, they all had different things they were called to do. They all had different people they were called to reach. And we're not called to be like so-and-so or this church or that church. We're called to be Creekside and to be able to say, God, what do you want us to do to reach the people around us? Don't you just kind of wish Jesus would come again in the flesh? Show up on a Sunday. Hey, I'm checking you guys out. How's it going? Oh, great, Jesus. Wouldn't that be easy? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But he's here. He's our honored, chief honored guest today with his omniscient presence. But here's the stunner. The first glimpse, the first revelation of Jesus that people might have is you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Kind of sobering, isn't it? That's why Jesus is here, because when he lives in us, he's here among his church. How does he show up? How's he going to show up at the crab feed to be able to serve our community through you? How does he show up to make burritos and to serve and feed the homeless through you? How does he serve our community? In May, we're going to have a thing called May Days where we're going to take a Sunday and we're going to go out and we're going to serve our community. How's he going to be seen in that? Through you. The reality of who we are with him. See, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 14 through 15. I don't want you to hide your light under a bushel. I want you to be like a city on a hill that can be seen that you're my light. The last thing is, Jesus, it says here, has overcome our greatest fear. Imagine seeing Jesus as John did. His face is brilliant, his sun and eyes. There's this gaze that can go right through you. What do you do in the presence of somebody like that? You do what John did. You fall down. He'd probably be pretty fearful too, but what does Jesus say? He says, don't be afraid. No one's dying here. I've already overcome the greatest fears that you'll ever have to face. I have overruled, I have destroyed through my life, death, and resurrection, death and Hades. He says, I hold the keys of them. Keys have to do with authority. He says, I have keys that can open the door for your freedom for your liberation in everything that you face, in every fear that you have. See, when you come to the book of Revelation, Jesus would say to each one of us, don't fear it, because the things that you are fearful about, you're probably not going to have to face. I believe. 
The one who was dead is now alive, the resurrected Christ. And his reconciling work on the cross, he sealed the deal to bring each person who chooses to follow Jesus salvation, freedom from sin. You say, well, what if everybody doesn't hear? Here's what I believe. 1 John 1, 9 says that every man will receive a light. And I believe every man, every woman will receive some revelation of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. So it's going to happen. I don't know how. That's God's thing. But he said it's going to happen. So what I hear is, is the character and the fairness and the justice of God that everybody will have an opportunity. Here's the deal. Let's not talk about all those people. Let's talk about you. Have you responded to the person of Jesus Christ? Are we going to fear now? Heck no. Here's the bottom line of who Jesus is. He's the lover of your soul. I'm convinced that Jesus will come to every one of us and say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's all going to happen. I'm going to bring it about, but don't be afraid. I've conquered hell and I've conquered death. And whatever that means, I'm in. I hope you are. Would you stand with me? Father, we come today so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to see him as John saw him. Help us not to have this puny little mealy man that is trying to convince everybody of who he is. But when when he comes in power, God, that we would see and have and experience a revelation of the living Christ. Help us not to fashion him in our own ways. The one who is eternal, the one who is ancient of days the one that sees all, the one that knows all. And for some of us, that's really fearful. But the Lord, we simply respond to your word and your grace. And we thank you for that today, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for these precious people that you've brought here. I ask, Lord, that you would speak to every one of us to see you as you are, not as we've seen in the past, that we would grow in this unveiling of who you are. If you're here today and you've never made the step to say, I I want to follow Jesus, I invite you to do that today. It's a real simple start where you simply say, I'm a sinner, Lord, and I, I choose to follow you. And if you just make some kind of declaration like that, that's the first step. You're just acknowledging who you are and who he is. And Lord, I pray that today, man, we live in tumultuous times. That every day we get up, we'd say, God's in charge. He knows what's happening. There's no man that rules this world, or no men, or no women. They're going to change the course of history other than what God knows. 
So we thank you for that today. Help us to have a kind of vision of who you are so we don't live in fear, but we follow you in faith. In your name we pray and give thanks.